Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, August 30th, 2021, and this is episode 32A. Today we're going to switch things up just a little bit in the normal format of the Monday podcast, and we're going to be kicking things off with the brief news and rumors stories that we have, going over a couple of things that have been announced over the past couple of weeks or otherwise have hit the news that I wanted to mention. After that, we'll get into the regular Monday comic book pull list, which I'm very happy to say that this week I have been able to do the pull list spotlights. Those are uh, where I spotlight a few comics this week. I'm actually happy to say it's about half the pull list was able to fit into some spotlights for me. These are comics that I spotlight due to their excellent representation, be it in terms of characters or creators. Um, I'm spotlighting probably half of the comics for their excellent representation that they do have. After that, um, after the comic book pull list, I am going to finish up the the podcast today with the November DC and Marvel solicitations. There's a good number of exciting things coming out at the end of the year. Honestly, I have to say, looking at this list, it's a lot more DC stuff than Marvel stuff, so um, maybe DC has finally figured out how to put out comics that I like, I don't know. Um, But for whatever reason, I have a lot more stuff to mention with the DC side of things and with the Marvel side of things when it comes to the November 2021 solicitations. And that is the plan for today's podcast. It might be shorter. I might end up rambling on and on and on about some of the stuff, so it might end up not being shorter. But we're just going to relax and uh, try to have a good time here talking about comics and comics media. If you would like to find me online, you can find me on my Instagram, which is Anna with the Comics, because my name is Anna and I have the comics. My Twitter is Savage She Geek because Sensational was too many letters. I don't use that too much. Um, if there are podcast updates, that's where you will find them, though. You can also find my website, which is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Um, I have a year, two years worth of writing um, that I did on that website before I started doing the podcasts. um, And that's reviews, discussions, general things about it. Pull lists and pick lists as well. Um, Pretty much everything that I have on the podcast now I used to write. And so all of that is backlogged on the website still if you would like to check that out. There are also reading orders of some of my favorite female characters, including... Um, the a brief discussion of their role in each issue that they're in, which is a very large passion project, but for a number of them, they are completed and they're available for viewing. Um, you also have my pod notes available. It's what I call them on Weebly. Um, and that is basically the notes that I go off of that I take down through the week and I go off of for recording the podcast to make sure that I don't get too far off track um, and cover all of the bases that I wanted to cover. Um, Those are made available for people who prefer to read over listening to me talk about the news or for people who uh, are hearing impaired and would like to keep up with the podcast uh, without having to listen to the podcast. So have at it if you would like to check that out as well. Uh, also on my website are links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, 
including YouTube, where I post all of the podcast videos in a single playlist in order so they're easy to find and catch up on. And I also post action figure review videos, the latest of which was the SH Figure Arts Beerus, um, kind of the higher end standard import edition um, that they re-released fairly recently, as opposed to the uh, what you might call the drugstore edition, who was about $20 from places like Walmart and Target and GameStop. I do have both of them, so I was able to go through and do a comparison of the fancier version versus the more ground level version, and so that is there to compare them or to help you decide on which one you want to put money into getting. Not sure what the next figure review video is going to be on YouTube, um, but I know the Sentinel will be coming in starting in September, which is starting Wednesday. So um, hopefully the Sentinel will be showing up in the next couple of weeks or month or so, and I will be doing a full unboxing of that bad baby on my YouTube channel, of course. If you would like to support the podcast, the easiest and most helpful way to do that is to just share the podcast. Uh, share it on social media, share it to people who you think will also like it, uh, you know, mention it when people are talking about comics, whatever, you know, whatever is easiest for you. Sharing it is the best way to get more listeners and more involvement and keep the podcast successful. If you would like to donate to the podcast in some kind of financial way to help keep it running in that sense, uh, your options include, you have a number of options. I have a podcast Patreon uh, which is just on Patreon under Sensational Shiki, because it's very easy to find. Uh, Patreon being the monthly support subscription service, I think is a good way to say that, for creatives. Um, there are options for rewards on Patreon as well. Um, once I get some more people in there, I will start sending out some stickers for uh, pay thank yous for patrons for 2021, and then I will be doing a similar thing in 2022 for anyone who sticks around or any new subscribers. Um, and, and then potentially if I get enough activity on Patreon, I could start doing, um, I would be able to start doing more special edition podcasts, premiere them on the Patreon a week or two before they premiere otherwise, or just have them Patreon exclusive. Um, so that would be more rewards for getting more people in there. I also have, if you're not interested in subscriptions like that, I have a Kofi or coffee, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it's, it's basically a one-time donation of a couple of bucks, whatever you would like. Um, and that is the whole idea behind it is donate, you know, so they can get a cup of coffee and continue working. And while it won't necessarily go to coffee because I don't drink too much coffee, I do drink tea though. Um, any amount of financial donation that is made to the podcast does go directly to me not having to work a regular job uh, and instead putting in more energy and effort onto the podcast where I can eventually add sound effects and intro music and stuff like that um, to make it a little bit more of a fun user experience to listen to. The final way to uh, donate to the podcast um, if you would like to get any, I have a couple little uh, branding things that I have put out there on Redbubble. It's under She Geek Shop, so you can check that out if you're at all interested. Uh, most of the things that I designed are signs that were kind of meant for posters or stickers. Um, so, but there are shirt options and stuff like that. It's good stuff that um, it's it's a good it's a good option to have out there for 
buying items and selling your items and things. So those are the three ways if you would like to donate. Um, I don't know if I said the Kofi username was just SheGeek because they have a limited amount of letters that you can have in there. So if you're looking for Kofi, it's just SheGeek. On Redbubble, it is SheGeek Shop. And on Patreon, it is just Sensational SheGeek. All of that being completely voluntary, um, there is never going to be a time where I charge people to listen to the standard edition of this podcast. That's just not uh, a route that I will ever go because... I'm a person who would not be able to do that myself to pay for listening to a standard podcast, so why would I charge people for something that I can't even afford myself? Um, and also, that's just stupid. Um, but anyway, that's the intro. Let's go ahead and get moving on to uh, news. So for the news, um, there's a couple of rumors that are fairly exciting, and then a couple of confirmed things. So starting off with the confirmed things here, I don't think I ever talked about the Black Canary movie. This, I'm shocked at myself for not having mentioned this, but I looked back through my stuff and I don't think I did. Um, this was probably mid-August this news was announced and I was extremely pleased um, for, oh gosh, obvious reasons and a plethora of them. But the news is a Black Canary movie will be coming starring Journey Smollett by writer Misha Green. Did I say that enough to make sense? Journey Smollett is coming back to star as Black Canary and it's being written by Misha Green. Okay. <laughs> uh, of course, Journey Smollett played Black Canary, Dinah Lance, in the Birds, oh, well, the Harley Quinn movie. It's not a Birds of Prey movie. Um, not quite, not yet, fingers crossed. Um, and so she is going to be returning for a Black Canary movie. This was one of those things that I felt was a little bit in league with the Zack Snyder Justice League demands from the fan side of things, um, where she was just this fan favorite character. I mean, she's amazing in that movie. It's unbelievable how awesome she is. Um, and I kind of felt a little bit like it was being called for, for like there wasn't really a reason to be calling for a Black Canary movie other than it would be hella cool. Um, and so in one sense, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do that. In the other sense, I was like, it's kind of feels ridiculous to ask because there's no way they're going to do it. And they're doing it. <laughs> I feel like this balances out the tables a little bit between all of the release the Snyder Cut BS and the rest of people who are like, can we just get some like, um, you know, female gays, black birds of prey stuff? Let's say Black Canary, but it's Birds of Prey stuff. Can we just have some female gaze and enough of the, you know, angelic music and slow-mo and black and white? <laughs> Let's get some fun stuff up in here. And this will definitely be fun. Misha Green is a name that you may be familiar with due to her other work at HBO Max. This is going to be an HBO Max movie. Misha Green is a writer who was the head writer on Lovecraft Country for HBO Max. Oh, gosh, 2019, 2020? I want to say it was 2020. A very, very good show. Um, for the most part, I was very happy with it. I have, like, one complaint about it that I won't get into, but it was, for the most part, a very female-forward show, and that is um, a big part of why I loved that. Um, 
so the two of them teaming up together, you know, they, they interact on social media. They clearly have a close relationship. Journey Smollett clearly has a passion for Dinah Lance because she was one of the names in there with the whole release the Dinah Lance movie um, people on Twitter who was calling for that. She has been supporting this idea of a, of a Black Canary movie since people on the internet wanted it. Um, and so that's, she's obviously very gung-ho about it. They're not twisting her arm to make her do this. Um, and having Misha Green on board as a female writer who she has worked with before is just ridiculously exciting. Um, I have no idea when this is going to be coming out. As far as I know, it's very pre-development. Um, anything that I saw online just says early development. So, um, they, they, they've only just announced it. So they're only in the very early stages, but this is one that you can guarantee you will want to keep up with, um, on the journey of it coming out because this had uh, journey, small journey, uh, because this is, um, this is really cool. I am excited. There is no news yet. Of course, with this having just been announced, there is no news yet if there are going to be, or rather which, cameos there are going to be because obviously Black Canary has ties into a lot of the superhero community including most famously Green Arrow being um, her for the most part husband <laughs> depending on the story you read it's on again off again um, or the reality that you're reading it in which world which which version of Earth <laughs> DC um, so he's obviously was a very big um, one that people wanted to see there. And then there is also um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been very public about, yeah, I would definitely come back as Huntress. She was Huntress in the Harley Quinn movie. Um, so I'm definitely, how cool would that be? I mean, she wants to be back in it. I don't see a reason for this to be a Black Canary movie that does not involve the other characters who have been established as to know her, that really would not make a lot of sense to me. So um, I think I think the best guess would be that we're going to get probably Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, Harley Quinn herself, much less likely just because of filming schedules. Margot Robbie is a very busy woman. Um, she is acting as well as creating behind the scenes these days as well. So a little bit less certainty on that as well as, as far as the other members of the Harley Quinn, uh, movie, it was, I, I think it'll be, um, cameos. I don't, I don't know. I, I would love to see a Black Canary teaming up with other women in the DC universe. Um, but this being so early, it's, it's very hard to guess. Um, but I would definitely say if we don't see Huntress or Montoya or any of them, I would be very surprised. So we're going to get something tying this in to the rest of the DC stuff that she's been involved in. I'm just, certain. I'm just not sure what that will be yet. We also have um, confirmed today the CW Batwoman show has cast its Poison Ivy. Now, I'm going to preface this with the fact that I do not watch the CW Batwoman show, and I'm going to preface that with, it's not because I don't like it or I hate it. Um, I didn't watch the first season just because I wasn't super interested in the actress playing the character. Um, 
I just wasn't really that interested in starting a Batwoman show at the time. With the re not recast, but with the revamp of the show in its second season, um, with the star Javicia Leslie. Um, she is stunning, by the way. And her character has been brought into DC Comics, so she is a comic book character now. But she was a character who was made for this Batwoman show. Um she is not Kate Kane. Kate Kane was the season one Batwoman. So this is this is a little this is this is interesting for me, and it might actually lead me to starting season two of Batwoman. I just have no interest in season one, and with the new character as the lead, I don't see a point in going back and watching season one when she picks up with season two. Um, the actress who will be playing Poison Ivy is going to be Bridget Regan, and she obviously Pamela Isley is who she's been cast as in combination with Poison Ivy being her name. Um, absolutely no idea for anything if this is going to be um, a romance or what. I would kind of dig a romance. The CW shows have made a big point that the relationships that show up in their episodes don't have a whole lot to do with um, the comics. There will be a lot pulled from the comics, but the people who get into the relationships themselves have a tendency to be slightly different. Um, and with no, no Harley Quinn in the CW universe that has mattered at all, um, there's not really any Batman reason to have Ivy and, and uh, Batwoman fight or whatever um, be in the show together, I guess. But it's you kind of have to assume she's going to be some kind of villain or anti-hero. Not sure. Um, but whatever, whatever the case may be, once we start getting some promo shots of what she's going to look like, depending on how that looks, I may catch up on Batwoman season two. As a large fan, large fan, a big fan of Poison Ivy, um, that may make it worth. If it if it starts to look like they're doing her justice, I may start to catch up on that to watch it as it premieres. As for the rumors that we have today, there are two, um, both of which I think are pretty exciting and both of which I think have a fair amount of validity backing them. First rumor was something that I had kind of mentioned a little bit in a sense uh, in previous episodes, and that is um, involving Foxmen showing up in Multiverse of Madness. Foxmen, if you're unaware, is this the term that most people use? Um, to to reference the X-Men movies that were headed by Fox. Um, all the Hugh Jackman ones back from the first X-Men through whatever the last one they did was. I'm honestly not sure. Phoenix? Whatever it was. Um, so this theory, or this rumor, I guess, um, I had kind of mentioned before, you know, it's not so crazy that the Fox-Men might be a multiverse of madness now that we know a little bit of how hard they're going in No Way Home, the Spider-Man uh, third movie. They're going pretty hard in that with pulling in fan service. And fan service is not a word I use lightly. Everything geekery is fan service. Any Batman issue that comes out of Batman in any way is fan service. Any Star Wars, anything that comes out is fan service. It's like that's when people complain about fan service, I just lose my mind because literally all of this is based on nostalgia and fan service. That's what it all is, literally. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, with all the fan service that would seem that we're going to be getting in No Way Home, it really does not strike me as too 
far off of a theory that we're going to get Foxman showing up in Multiverse of Madness because that is supposed to be the end-all, be-all multiversal movie, right? Uh, Doctor Strange 2. So the rumor being this week that Scarlet Witch is going to be the one to battle one of the Foxmen in Multiverse of Madness. We already know that she's going to be doing crazy stuff in this because of how WandaVision ended. We already have her interacted with what they may or may not tie in to be Quicksilver from another universe. He's obviously not Quicksilver in this universe. He was just Ted or whatever his name was. Um, but there, it's a lot of doors that are open. Um, my personal favorite theory would be Magneto. Um, I would be fine with seeing Scarlet Witch slaughter Magneto of the Foxmen or something like that. I don't know if they're going to kill him or what or how it's going to end up. They're not going to pull him into the main MCU. It's not going to be anything like that. But uh, and remember, this is all just a rumor, so this could be completely BS. But it's really exciting to think about. Um, it's just... Uh, and additionally, there was apparently the idea that Hugh Jackman was going to be that one, but that did get shut down theoretically due to the fact that the rumor mill is very snappy with anything related to him. They will pick that up, you know, like sharked with blood and water. They can sm sniff that out from 10,000 miles away, basically. Um, anything with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, people are waiting to snatch that rumor up. Um, so without... Hugh Jackman Wolverine being the most recognizable Fox X-Men character. Um, I would say Charles and Magneto are the next two most recognizable. But then remember, we do have two versions of Charles and Magneto out there. So it could be Foxmen characters from the second set of movies where you have like the young X-Men characters. Or it could be Foxmen characters from the first trilogy where you have the first trilogy, you know, like The Last Stand and all of that. Um, so this is very, very fun to think about. There's a lot of ways they could go if this is true. Um, and it means that there's a lot of doors there waiting to be potentially opened uh, for whatever amount of time, briefly or not, for other characters that we've been hoping to see. So that's also very exciting. The last rumor I want to talk about here involves the Flash movie. Um, I was literally sitting here working on the uh, podcast notes <laughs> when, uh, based on some things that I'll we'll talk about it when we get there. Really cool cover that I want to pick, make sure my shop gets for me. Um, it reminded me of the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, and I was just I just had this thought that was like, you know, um, it would be pretty cool if they brought her or, you know, any of the other characters from those older Batman movies into the Flash movie, because we know Michael Keaton's going to be in it. That's been confirmed time and time again. Um, and I, I kid you not, probably within 10 minutes of me thinking that, my husband texted me, there's a rumor that Michelle Pfeiffer is going to, there's going to be a scene of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman marrying Bruce Wayne in the Flash movie. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What just, just... I, please, yes, I, yes, um, yes, <laughs> M uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is, I don't think I have to, to explain to anyone, 
Um, a goddess. <laughs> I don't know how old she is right now, but she looks better than I have ever looked. I mean, I feel like she's always, I mean, that's not really saying that much, I guess, but she's, she's amazing. Um, and she's also obviously a incredible actress. The behind the scenes stuff of the Batman movie where she is Catwoman it blows your mind. There's a scenes of her whipping the the hats off the uh, dummies or whatever it was. And that was all her. All one take. I mean, it wasn't one take. They tried it a bunch of times. But, like, they got it. It was not edited. She got that all in one try, in one, you know, fell swoop. Herself. Like, that's, that's sick. That is so cool. Um, I've always been a fan of Michelle Pfeiffer just because, I mean, she, like I said, she's gorgeous. Um, and she's an incredible actress. I, Stardust is based off the Neil Gaiman book, is one of my favorite movies of all time. I do not know how many times I've seen it. Um, but Michelle Pfeiffer continues to be one of the main reasons as to why I love that movie. Uh, but anyway, as I said, uh, rumor mill is now circulating that Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman slash Selena Kyle may be marrying Bruce Wayne in a flashback scene in the Flash movie. And that does bring up some questions because, yes, technically there were, was it three or four Batman movies that were technically all connected, but we got different actors playing Batman at different times and, um... You know, it's it's they can easily just kind of shuffle the rest of the movies off into non-existence and just say, yes, the Batman 80, 89 or whatever it was, that is the one that happened. That's the one that matters. And just stick with, you know, whatever happened at the end of that movie being, I, I think she ran off or whatever, but um, after the fact, you know, they got together. You can easily argue that and just kind of ignore the rest of the movies that came in that era. <laughs> um, but that's very exciting. Two very exciting bits of rumors there. Um, I don't have one that I prefer over the other. Uh, the Flash movie, I'm always going to be, I think until we see a trailer, gosh, maybe until I'm watching it even, I'm going to be a little bit hesitant about because um, it seems to be very, very, very big. And from what I've seen... <laughs> the DC cinematic stuff, they, like, the, the, the way that they handle the very, very big stuff is very, very up and down. <laughs> so, um, it, it could suck. I, I definitely am very conscious of that. It, it could really, really suck. Um, but it could not also. So I, I'm trying to keep even about this exciting news always that we're getting but I'm trying not to get too excited to allow myself to be too disappointed. <laughs> Jumping into the comic book polis, I will start things off with those comics with excellent representation that I did mention at the beginning of the podcast. Of those, they will contain Demon Days, Cursed Web, number one. I don't know, Cursed Web or Cursed Web? It's, I, I feel like Cursed Web is more... Is, sounds better. I don't know. Uh, and then we have Harley Quinn 2021 Annual number one, Red Sonia number one, Mirka and Dolph, Sweet, Sweet Paprika number two, Wonder Girl number three, The Many Deaths of Layla Star number five, New Mutants 21, and Captain Marvel number 32. But starting things off with Demon Days, Cursed Web. Okay, no, it doesn't sound right. Cursed Web number one. Is that a British thing? Cursed versus cursed? Or is it just context? Cursed. Cursed. 
I don't know. Uh, this this is part three of the Demon Days saga by Peach Moko. It will be a five total issues, and it encompasses her completely reimagined Marvel universe. Um, if you have not checked out either of the first two issues of the Demon Days saga, I highly recommend you do so because it has been remarkable. Um, the creativity that goes into it with the uh, somewhat historical context of the characters and who they are in the context of the story uh, is very cool. She's definitely giving it a, a very Japanese theme, um, which makes a lot of sense since she speaks Japanese as her first language. Um, and that goes along with a lot of what her style, which she's become known known for as a comic book artist. Uh, these are about three months between each issue because I'm, if you're not familiar with Peach Moko, I, I, I swear you have to be living under a rock at this point because she has been all, all over pretty much every comic publisher out there doing variant covers and main covers. Um, she's done a number of slight interior type things, but this is the first thing that she's really has her full creativity, um, allowing her to do whatever she wants for the story. And it's very, very good. Um, the way that the stories kind of play out is very much like, um, like legends or like, uh, tales passed around the fireside, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's a very big deal. It's a very big fan favorite kind of event that's going on. Uh, and because of that, there's obviously going to be a lot of variant covers. Um, this month we have, or this, this issue, I suppose we have Jenny Frizen, Trad Moore, Ron Lim, Guri Hiru, Jung-Yoon Yoon. I'm sorry. I'm definitely pronouncing things wrong. Agnes Garbowska and Bengal. Uh, Jenny Frizen is one of my absolute favorite, um, comic book artists, cover artists. Um, she is stunning. Uh, her art is stunning and she has a Raven, um, Mystique cover. It's, it's the Peach Moko version of Mystique. Um, and it is gorgeous. So I'll definitely be checking that out. The Tradmore one is really awesome. He's got a little corner box of the wolf Logan, because in this world, Logan is a wolf with one eye. How sick is that? I love it. Uh, and then, you, of course, the other artists always have their fantastic work as well. Gurihiru is probably doing every issue of Demon Days as a team of Japanese women who do the art together. Uh, that makes a lot of sense that they would be on board for all five issues of this series. As for what this issue is about, since they're all somewhat different, but will all be connected by the end, it says spiders and wolves and yokai. Oh my. And just yokai being the uh, the creatures of the mountains that live, that are like kind of giants and things. Um, it says Mariko Yoshida journeys deep into a, for a forest to find answers about her past. Instead, she finds a magical wolf with three toes and a strange girl with a pet spider. But there are deadly creatures in these woods too. A mysterious blue-skinned woman and a giant with super strength and claws. And they're after Mariko. The giant with super strength and claws is Sabretooth, I'm pretty sure. Based on previews that we've seen two of them, uh, Sabretooth and Mystique teamed up together. Um, so that is 
pretty neat as well. I'm very excited to see all her designs for these characters. What we know about the character Mariko Yoshida in this series so far is that she is born of a yokai, one of the beings from the mountains who are like supernatural creatures almost. Um, and so that's why she is going off to find answers about her past. The magical wolf with three toes, I don't think that's Logan. And the strange girl with a pet spider, I believe that's going to be her version of Silk. Um, I'll have to wait till we get the issue, obviously, to see, but those are my theories right now. Uh, and no doubt she will be confirming who the characters are for anybody who is lost on social media uh, Wednesday morning. Because these, these Marvel comics will be coming out on Wednesday the 1st. DC Comics are coming out tomorrow, Tuesday the 31st. Next up, we have Harley Quinn Annual 2021. This is by Stephanie Phillips with artist David LaFuente. And it's got the standard Derek Chu variant if you have been collecting those for the regular Harley Quinn series. Stephanie Phillips has been completely killing it. Um, I just, I really enjoy what she's been doing with the Harley Quinn with the Harley Quinn series this year. Um, and it was very surprising to see in the most recent issue that came out last week. Um, Laura Braga is a fantastic, gorgeous artist, but her style did not quite fit the tone that Stephanie Phillips has developed for herself and the artist uh, Riley Rosmo, who has a very cartoony, very active style of art. Um, so... I'm curious, David LaFuente, I'm curious how their art style is going to fit with the Stephanie Phillips tone. That being said, this issue is going to be told, so it seems, from the perspective of Kevin, Harley's sidekick. Um, the basic plot of this being, Harley is kidnapped by Keepsake, and it's up to Kevin and Solomon Grundy to save her, and there will apparently be a new bat villain. I swear to God, there's a new bat villain in every stupid freaking issue. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, but this is, this is definitely going to be fun. I don't read the main Batman series. I did skim it a few weeks ago, um, to catch up with whatever minor things have been said about Ivy up to that point. Um, and I did see that Harley is still fairly involved with the tiny and Batman series. But I gotta say, the way he writes her just does not compare to the Phillips version. It's it's like two different characters. Um, and I, is it Jimenez who is doing the art on Batman right now? Uh, whoever it is, they are. It's it's beautiful, beautiful Batman art. Um, but the the I don't know, the way Tynion writes his female characters just don't seem to match up with other people who write them better. Um, but I know she's been kind of around the DC universe, not just in her own series. So you can check her out wherever you see her. Red Sonia number one is an additional Red Sonia series coming from Mirka Andolfo. Not with art by her though. Um, it is going to be an ongoing series. I'm not sure if the 2019 Red Sonia series is still going or not, um, but I stopped bothering with that a long time ago. It was just too much rehashing the same stuff over and over again. Um, this is supposed to be a completely different direction for Sonia to be taken. The solicitation is a bit short. It says, Our story begins in a village on fire, set by members of the dreaded Three-Eye Shazam. When Red Sonia arrives, the only survivor of the flame is a flame is a lively child with curious white tattoos. The child will become Sonia's travel companion on a journey from hardened ice to imposing forests, where dangerous secrets wait to be revealed. 
I'm a fan of Red Sonia. Um, she kind of falls into the category of Wonder Woman in that, though, where I have a hard time finding a series of this character that I enjoy. Um, as I said, I do not read whatever the most recent Red Sonia series was. I got really mad about it at certain points and just kind of rage quit the whole thing. Um, <laughs> not because of her outfit. I honestly don't care what Red Sonia wears, but, um, it's, uh... This sounds like it'll be fun. Mirka Andolfo has an excellent grasp of indie projects that she does, so this will no doubt be at least a little bit entertaining. I don't read everything Mirka Andolfo does, but um, as a Red Sonia fan and a fan of Andolfo, this seems like a good one to try out. Mirka Andolfo's Sweet Paprika Number 2 is a series I was not planning on picking up period before the first issue. It is going to be out of 12 issues. It is written and drawn by Mirka Andolfo, same person that I was just talking about with Red Sonia. The reason I was not planning on getting this one is I've, I've followed Mirka Andolfo online for a while. She posts a lot of sketches and things of this character, Sweet Paprika, who is her OC. It's an original created character from Mirka Andolfo. Um, and there's a I don't know, there was something about it that just kind of made my skin crawl. I think it was the um, kind of balloony proportions and joints um, really threw me off. But this, I did pick up the first issue of this. I actually picked up two copies of it. It was the Peach Moco cover and the Art Germ cover. Um, and it's, it's really cute. Um, I was not expecting to like it as much as I did at all by any means, but I, I really enjoyed it. And it's not just, um, for lack of better terms, a porn comic. There is obviously a lot of that kind of stuff referenced. It is a very female forward comic and sex positive comic. Uh, Mirka Andolfo as a person is a very much female forward and sex positive creator. And I appreciate the hell out of that. It's why I talk about her in my, um, highlights <laughs> here. Um, so I was surprised to find that the end of the issue actually had a lot of plot and heart and integrity to it, um, where Paprika finds out that her father is, um, going through a really tough illness. So this issue has three variant covers. One is by Andrew Hickenbottom. It's quite a last name. One is by Yuya March. If you are familiar with the recent series... Carmen that was a Guillaume March creation and there's also a variant by Steven Serge um, if you've ever seen the name S-T-J-E-P-A-N last name S-E-J-I-C apparently you say that Steven Serge I don't know how to say the G noise um, but I was told by a creator who was told by a Dutch person um, that that is how you say it uh, the G is kind of a, you know, kind of sound. So Steven Self. apparently that's how that's said, but he has a variant cover as well. I really enjoy seeing various creators taking on the, especially original characters of an indie creator and kind of draw them in their own style. I think that's a lot of fun. So the, um, the, um, the Momoko and the Art Germ covers last time kind of fit that, and this time the, uh, the Steve, I'm just gonna say the Steven cover is, uh, kind of fitting that this time, where they're changing her just enough to fit their style. And he is very well known for his own 
female forward and extremely sex positive um, and healthy minds about sex consciousness and stuff like that. Um, so it makes a lot of sense that he is doing this variant cover. The, the solicitation, just to give you a little bit more of an idea of what this is about, it does say, Paprika is living a difficult situation brought on by her father's illness and the complex work situation that awaits her. It's the it's the only kind of business she's not really able to handle. A dinner where being dynamic, kind, and relaxed is just as important as being competent. But there is also another reason why the young and skilled professional is in trouble. She doesn't want to see one of the guests again, dot dot dot. So it's a nice little, you know, Sex in the City kind of drama um, without being as lame as Sex in the City. I really enjoy, um, as I've said many times now in this podcast episode, I really enjoy Mirka Andolfo's creations. So between this and Red Sonia, I will be a Mirka Andolfo super fan this week. Wonder Girl number three comes out, <clears throat> excuse me, comes out this Wednesday, it's Tuesday as well. This is by, this is the brainchild of Joelle Jones. She writes and she draws and is colored by Jordi Belair. This series follows Yara Floor, who we were first introduced to in Future State as the new Wonder Woman. Yara Floor is coming into her own as a non-superhero character and learning about her heritage, which is through um she is one of the descendants of a tribe a lost tribe of amazon so that's a lot of what this series is going to be about is about her kind of discovering who she is and literally finding those lost amazons who are her sisters so this solicitation does say let the training commence now crowned harris champion yara needs to start acting like one enter eros the goddess's favorite grandson and god of love can yara resist his charms long enough to master her unpredictable new powers all the gods are watching are you so remember the last issue of wonder girl harris sent eros to go i believe he was meant to spear her with one of his arrows of love but he ended up nicking his own finger on it while gazing upon her so he's obviously going to become very lovey-dovey towards yara um, and she has the nice little bus driver guy who is real cute and real sweet who has been flirting up a storm with her um, and she is not paying attention to that. Uh, so it's, it's really, really well done. This is also like one of the most beautiful things in comics right now. Um, really, really stunning art. Joelle Jones, there is nothing that she has done art for that I have not wanted to read. Um, really, really fantastic stuff. And this week we do have a variant cover by Matteo Scalera. Um, the main cover is still by Joelle Jones, but going forward, it's going to be, um, Joelle Jones teaming up with not Elena Casagrande, um, and, uh, Adriana Mello. I had to think for a second. They all have very similar art styles. Adriana Mello, um, who I adored from the Female Fury series with Cecil Castellucci, um, Adriana Miller will be continuing with the Wonder Girl art in subsequent issues, as well as Joelle Jones. Um, but Joelle Jones will be the writer of the entire project. I am still not sure how long this Wonder Girl series is going to be going for. We know we're getting at least seven issues because that's as far as solicitations have gone for DC Comics through November. But it is hard to tell how far the series might go beyond that. I'm hoping it goes for a good 12 issues at least. 
um, because it's it's very very good. Um, but we'll see. And as for what is going to happen with Yara Floor after the Wonder Girl series, we know there's going to be a CW Wonder Girl TV series that Joelle Jones will be helping with as well. Um, absolutely no news on that since it was announced, though. So we will kind of have to wait around and see what we what we're going to do with Yara Floor next. The Many Deaths of Layla Starr is by Rom V and Felipe Andrade. It is a story that takes place, um, uh, it is a story that surrounds various Hindu deities, mainly the god of death who is in the body of human Layla Starr and keeps dying and getting brought back years later um, by the god of life. Um, because he's a sucker for that, apparently. <laughs> this issue number five will be the fi the final issue of the series. Um, I have some things that I've read of Rom V's that I really haven't been a fan of at all. This, I believe it was issue two, or I believe it was issue three, that was told, I kid you not, through the perspective of a cigarette. That might sound dumb, but I swear, this was one of the most... This will probably go down easily in the top 10 favorite single issues of my entire comics reading experience. Maybe top five, because it was truly... Holy... It was amazing. Um, <laughs> I can't even... I can't even describe... It was just phenomenally written. Um, to be able to tell an entire story, including backstory and details and character histories from the perspective of a cigarette that is being smoked is wild. And it made sense, is even more wild that he was able to make it work. Just stunning writing in this series. The amount of thought and symbolism and meaning behind every panel is just so lovely. Um, as I said, this is the last issue. The foil variant this month is by Nimitz Malavia. I've been collecting the foil variants. They've been very beautiful. Um, I This is not a series that I think we're going to see anything like ever again. Um, if you have not been picking these issues up, I highly, highly recommend that you do. It, it has been um, nothing short of an incredible experience to read. And I, I truly mean that. It has been quite a phenomenal experience. Um, I feel like in reading this, my eyes of creativity have been open to the leagues of ways that comics can be written aside from what we've been seeing for all of comic history. And whatever changes come in the industry, the fact that we have creators like this still putting out, always putting out, not still, just continually putting out this kind of product whatever happens with the industry, it's it's not going to collapse fully for a long time. Um, hope I don't put my foot in my mouth by saying that, but this is, this is like, this is, this is seriously a comic that has changed my entire, like, life view. It's, 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 I'm not exaggerating. It really has been that amazing. New Mutants number 21 is by non-binary non writer Vita Ayala and fantastic Draw, draw artist Rod Reese. Rod Reese is really impressive to me, um, specifically in that, similarly to Liam Sharp, um, his art style is incredibly fluid um, and able to morph one way to another depending on um, 
what's what it is that's you know going on and stuff so um with this series rod reese does a very sinkovich style of art and it's obviously amazingly perfect because of Sienkiewicz's history with New Mutants. Um, so I, I dig the heck out of it. And Vida Ayala is doing a wonderful job of exploring the various New Mutants characters because there is it's not just the traditional New Mutants that we all know and love. There's a new generation on Krakoa. And so we're getting to know all of them um, and the various ways that they interact and the various evils that they are facing on this new land. The solicitation says, Mayhem on the moon. There's something creeping in the shadows of the summer house, and the new mutants are about to come face to face with it. And back on Earth, a team is a team is turning against itself as they gear up for their biggest battle yet. Um so it's gonna be a good issue. I don't know what else to say. It's gonna be a good issue. Um I really love Vita Ayala and Roderick's new mutants. I know Roderick took a few issues off, but he's back now. And Vita has just been absolutely destroying the haters with this amazing series. Um, the long con, no, the long overarching plot that we're kind of following here is that, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Give me like 30 seconds. No, not even 30 seconds. Just give me a few seconds to figure out what the, Farouk, Farouk, his name is Farouk. Um, I don't remember his other name. Mm-hmm. Shadow King. There we go. Uh, Shadow King has been the overarching villain of this New Mutants series since Vita has taken over, but it's not as straightforward as anybody thinks. Um, my current theory is that Shadow King has already gotten his claws into a number of the major players on the New Mutants book, um, and that is why no one is really super concerned in the slightest bit about him kind of, um brainwashing the kids of Krakoa, <laughs> um, being a secret teacher of them and nobody really seems to care. So I think he's already got his fingers into them and is just screwing with them majorly. Um, and there's definitely no way that this will end well. Finally, for the spotlights, Captain Marvel number 32. It's the last of the Marvels beginning of the arc called the last of the Marvels. That makes sense. Um, Kelly Thompson is joined with artist Sergio Fernandez Davia and Ian Herring with Kong Colors. The solicitation of this issue, this Last of the Marvels um, arc, I am very hopeful for. The previous arcs of Captain Marvel, I did not really dig. Uh, it's been since, honestly, her sister made, her half sister made an appearance for the first time that I have really really dug what has been coming out of the Captain Marvel books. Uh, so I'm hoping that this Last of the Marvels arc takes it back on an upswing. What it says is the Last of the Marvels starts here. An old darkness has emerged, has re-emerged, one that almost brought the Avengers to their knees. A twisted Captain Marvel is terrorizing the galaxy, and this time it's not Carol Danvers. We're almost sure. And where is Vox Supreme? Carol must race to find out as the last of the Marvels begins. So obviously what the main theory here is that the various evil Carols that are attacking whatever it is are creations of Vox Supreme. Vox Supreme being um, co- identity, kind of. Um, he is a character that Donny Cates created for Death of the Inhumans, the Inhumans being Kree creations, you have to remember to get this all to tie together. Um, he killed all of the Inhumans minus the royal family. So um, there's Vox, and then there was the, the Kree Supreme Intelligence, who was like the main leader overlord of the entire Kree existence. 
up until fairly recently when the home world of Hala was completely wiped out. Um, and I'm pretty sure how this all happened was uh, Vox, super, Vox and the Supreme Intelligence morphed or something like that into one another and they have become one being of Vox Supreme. And their main thing is they want to, uh, I believe, they want to bring the Kree race back to superiority of the galaxy. Um, and Carol being a half Kree, they see her as someone who should be working for them. And that's how that whole twisted previous arc had happened of Carol attacking the Avengers. That was because Vox Supreme was forcing her to do that with hostages, basically. So um, now that he's back... I have absolutely no doubt that these, whatever these evil Carols are, whatever it is that's happening, evil Captain Marvels, whatever it is, that's definitely creations of Vox Supreme. He may try to trick people, I don't know, but that's just generally what my thoughts are. Um, and issues, I have the solicitations for issue 34 and 33 as well, just because this is an arc that I'm looking forward to. 33 says, the Marvels are under attack. First they come to the captain, now they're after the youngest to bear the title. Carol races to save Kamala Khan, but no one knows, least of all Carol. As Kamala Khan is in it. Kamala, no, it's the president, the vice president's Kamala. I get them confused, the names, how to say it. Um, least of all Carol, what the Dark Marvels are up to next or who they'll target. And this time, not even the dead are off limits. Kelly Thompson and Sergio Davila deliver a shocking reveal, the first of many. There is a spoiler teaser variant, so it says, um, of a Vel. I want to say that it's Novar. Um, I don't think, it's not Marvel. I don't think it's Genus Vel. Um, it might be Novar, but it, it's like this weird 80s look uh, I don't know all of the Marvel original Captain Marvel characters who he was involved with. I know that he has a very convoluted um, progeny, so uh, not sure about the details, but um, I whatever, it's going to be exciting, right? 34 says, there is no hope for Carol or the Captain Marvel name. There is only imprisonment. And with Carol trapped, who will save her friends? It's going to take more powerful, something more powerful to break free. Something nobody, not even Carol, knew was possible. There is an art germ variant for this that he has already shown is Marvel, um, which makes me think that the hero who is going to swoop in and save the day is going to be Marvel. Marvel is dead. We'll say that first. He died back in the 80s during Death of Captain Marvel. It was a big deal. Um, he has not come back. What has come back, or what has happened, is there was a scroll who, um, you know, scrolls can change, they can like morph into other beings. It's the whole scroll thing, right? Um, this scroll was during the, I want to say, Secret Wars? No, Secret Invasion? I honestly can't remember what event it was, but uh, the scroll called Kunur, don't know if I'm saying that right, it's K-H-N apostrophe N-R, <laughs> uh, he was acting as Marvel, Captain Marvel, and it threw a lot of people off because he's obviously been dead for a long time at that point. Um, but what happened here was he got so deep into the psyche of Marvel that he believed himself to be Marvel. He became the hero of Marvel. And while that series it was a four or five issue series, how that ended was actually this uh, this scroll Marvel deciding that um, 
I'm going to go off into space and act as Marvel would have and just kind of continue Marvel's legacy as a hero helping people out in space. And as far as I know, that is the last time that we have heard hide or hair of him. Um, so potentially he could be a character who is brought back in. I've been waiting for this because I feel like this is kind of a big deal. Like he's just kind of out there in the universe and they didn't really say anything. It's just kind of, okay, bye. Uh, we also have though, remember we have Novar who is a, I think son of Marvel. He's related somehow. Genus Bell is a son. Phyla is a daughter from another universe technically. And then we have Monica Rambeau who had the title Captain Marvel at one point as the first female Captain Marvel. And then we have Ms. Marvel who is of course Kamala Khan. Um, I have a lot of hope for this to be a really exciting arc, but we'll see. We will see. Moving beyond the spotlights on representation and into the other things that are coming out this week, we're going to start off with Almost American number one. This one, I'm not sure how many issues is going to be, but it was this end line of the solicitation that perked my my uh, curiosity, piqued my curiosity, perked my ears, whatever. It did the thing for me. Uh, the solicitation says, spies like us. In 2008, husband and wife Russian intelligence operatives walked into the U.S. Embassy in the Dominican Republic in order to defect, making a deal to trade secrets for new lives. But instead of the American dream, Janosch and Victoria Newman found themselves caught up in red tape, bureaucracy, and turf wars between the FBI and CIA, all while their past tries to kill them. Here's the line that got me. Based on the real-life story of real-life spies, Almost American is written by comics master Ron Mars in close consultation with the Newmans, with art by rising star Marco Castillo. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't like an espionage story that's based in reality? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I will take. Thank you. Um, the whole Russian versus US thing has been, oh my gosh, who even knows how far that has gone back as re like Russia versus US. It's just been, it's a classic theme in, in history and in fiction at this point. Um, so this is really cool. And it, the fact that it's based off of their own stories that they are telling the writer as he writes them. That's sick. That's really sick. Are we going to get some, like, secrets here? No, we're not going to get some secrets here. But it's going to be cool. I bet you any money it'll be cool. Dark Ages number one kicks off this week. I have to stress, this is not an event. This is a non-canon mini-series. It's coming from Tom Taylor and art by I Iban Coelho. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, it's going to be six issues. Again, not an event. Uh, Tom Taylor, I have to I have to make a list here because he has easily become one of my favorite writers specifically for non-canon DC and Marvel projects. Um, over at DC, he has done four... Well, he is working on, aside from Dark Ages, which is not a DC project, he's got four projects at DC um, that are non-canon series. One is Batman the Detective, which is Bruce in England. One is Dark Knights of Steel, which actually doesn't start until November, but that is going to be like an RPG D&D &D fantasy Game of Thrones. Or, <laughs> can't fantasy Game of... 
uh, Justice League, sorry, words. Uh, he did Injustice, which is obviously based off the game, but the books, the comics went way beyond anything the game ever even breathed on. So really good stuff there. And finally, all of the DC stuff that has happened over the past five or so years, that is all Tom Taylor. Um, so clearly he has a mind for Elseworlds type stories. Also at DC, he did Hellblazer, Hellblazer, <laughs> Hellblazer Rise and Fall, which was a three or four issued um, prestige plus format DC black label story about, of course, John Constantine. Um, very queer forward in that. They were very, he was very open in the writing about how Constantine is not a straight man. It's not always been a straight man. Um, and he also wrote for Marvel the all new Wolverine stuff where uh, Laura Kinney is Wolverine and he created the character of Gabby. Um, her clone sister. So Taylor has some really great stuff under his belt. I have no, I, I have no guess that this is going to be, I have no guess. I have no, you know, this is going to be good, but <laughs> it's going to be good. Um, what the solicitation says, if you want the official word is, this is what the watcher has been watching for. A danger older than the earth threatens everything. For once, the heroes who have saved the planet so many times are almost powerless in the face of it. X-Men and Avengers assemble. Spider-People and Fantastic Four come together. Heroes for hire alongside champions. None of it will be enough. The lights are about to go out. The world outside our window is about to end. I seen something earlier that had a little bit more detail about the plot of this, I think. Um, I, th I thought, but I can't find it now. But basically what it said was um, that there is an EMP. Nope, that's, that's a DC thing. That's right. I'm getting that mixed up. We'll talk about that later when we get to the DC solicitations for November. <laughs> uh, scratch that about Dark Ages. I still think Dark Ages is going to rock, but it's going to be kind of like that DC thing that's coming in November. <laughs> And then we have We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number eight, written by Al Ewing, with art by Simone DeMeo, who is a fantastic artist. Uh, Ewing has about a million and a half other projects going on between the various publishers and seems to have always more being added on. So that is my guess as to why this series has been so delayed between issues. Doesn't make it any less annoying. Um, there's only eight and nine are solicited period. Um, but as far as I can tell, there's going to be more than nine issues. So hopefully this will be good enough to keep people's interests because it's just been, it's been too much dropping off. It's getting to be too much, too many breaks between issues where there's not breaks between story. It's, um, but it's, but it's a great concept. It's basically, you know, future space where these giant beings, literally, you know, giants just kind of pop out of space. They just kind of arrive in the middle of space, dead, um, and they're kind of known as gods. And there are two sects of people in this future world. So half are the worshippers of the gods and half are the harvesters of the gods because the gods provide all of their food and nutrients from their physical bodies. They eat them and that is how they um, survive as a society. So then you have the worshippers who believe that's heresy and blah, blah, blah. But it's a really cool concept. There's a couple of really cool, um, like drips of plot that we've been getting through the past few issues, but it's been going so slow, um, with, in combination with the breaks between issues, this issue better knock me off my feet 
to keep me uh, into the next couple of issues whenever, whenever they'll show up. Hellions number 15 is by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia. I honestly have been really just vaguely keeping up with this. I kind of lost interest as soon as they stopped regularly talking about Madeline Pryor. Um, she is my, you know, favorite, basically. <laughs> this issue does have amazing, amazing variant cover by Stephanie Hans featuring Quanin slash Psylocke, however you know her best. The solicitation does refer to her as Psylocke. It says Psylocke's secret deal with Mr. Sinister will cause a schism within the Hellions. It says more than that, but that's what's important. Um, the thing about this, about what Quan's been up to with Mr. Sinister, we're not sure, but it has something to do with he will give her her daughter, which is also something that we are fairly um, new of knowledge in. Um, but he's going to apparently give her her daughter or something like that, or keep her daughter safe as long as she does what he says. Um, whatever it is, it has been kept from the rest of the Hellions team. And since this is a team that is very much based on trust, that is probably going to cause some issues, um, going forward. So whatever that ends up being, I'll figure it out and tell you in the pick list. <laughs> the last thing I want to mention here is not something that I'm excited for. It is Avengers number 48. I am just getting it to keep up with the She-Hulk story that I hate. Um but I am a fan of She-Hulk and if this is going to be an integral part of her history, I have to keep up with it so that I can bitch about it properly. Um, I, <laughs> Jason Aaron needs to be stopped. I am a fan of his and Thor, but goddamn his Avengers has sucked. I don't mind. I actually kind of like the bulky She-Hulk thing, but this is something else. This is legitimately bad writing. This is lazy, uh, rehashed, uncreative, and honestly, the most basic plot that he could have come up with. Instead of coming up with something a little bit more complex and thought-provoking, like, gee, the Winter Guard says something to She-Hulk that convinces her to join them and to willingly become their Winter She-Hulk. Instead of doing that, he just goes, oh, yeah, they torture her until she becomes Winter She-Hulk. There we go. Easy. Write it off. Done. That is so lazy. So lazy. And just generally bad writing. <laughs> uh, and in this issue, I won't read the solicitation because why? Um, I guess Gorilla Man is going to try and stop her. I... I I think they're trying to just piss people off and make them roll their eyes. I really... They have to be trying. <laughs> Now we are going to go forward and talk about the November DC and Marvel solicitations. These were announced in the past week or so, um, the official lists of what will be coming out from Marvel and DC Comics. Um, interestingly, I have a lot more listed for DC than I do Marvel, um, which my personal pull list and history of comics reading shows that I tend to lean more towards Marvel current stuff than DC current stuff. However, um, DC seems to really, really be stretching their fingers into the, like, Elseworlds alternate stories and things like that, and because it seems to be working for them really well. So if the, if that's kind of what they figured out is something that works for them, I am here for it, because it has worked for me pretty well, too. We'll start off, though, with Marvel, because it is slightly shorter. Um, some of these things are just going to be me listing that, yes, they are happening, and some are going to be me actually kind of announcing them 
it's not announcements it was the the, the stuff the, the page announced it but um announcing it for the podcast sure let's go with that so for marvel in november uh donny cates continues well rather starts hulk number one i'm not sure what the substack contract that he now has um i know it's not an exclusive contract so he technically can still work on hulk um while working on substack but most creators it seems who have moved to substack have dropped their big two work um, so I'm not sure what the situation is going to be with Hulk going forward. We just know there's going to be at least the first issue by Donny Cates. <laughs> there's also going to be a miniseries about The Thing coming in November. The first issue of Six by Walter Mosley and artist Tom Riley. There will be, this was actually announced a few days ago, and I'm very happy for it. It's says 100% prepping us, or rather tying connecting coinciding there we go coinciding with the hawkeye series on disney plus hawkeye kate bishop number one of five this is going to be written by a new writer for the character mariek oh god nij camp i'm sorry i'm so sorry um and and anid balaman balam again i'm sorry i tried <laughs> i'm terrible um Kate Bishop has had one previous Hawkeye series about just herself. That was by Kelly Thompson. Um, I have the first issue, I think, or two of that. Um, very mixed reviews about that one through the years. Uh, the The writer here, I'm just going to say, the writer here, uh, whose name I can't seem to pronounce without embarrassing myself, um, they have done a lot of apparently film and TV shows writing. So that's another trend that I'm kind of starting to see a lot of live action, the film and TV, silver screen and whatever kind of creators moving into comics as comics becomes a bit more of a land of opportunity for putting out your dream story i suppose um while this is a big two project and not an indie project i still think it kind of falls along those lines of um creative switching industries to find a better place to write what they want to write so that will be happening in november we also have a captain america iron man crossover as five issues coming from derek landy and angel uzueta oh god i'm sorry uh we also have Black size, oh god, giant size black cat infinity score number one. I have been loving the Jen McKay black cat. This seems to be wrapping up the black cat series, which I believe ends at issue 10, which I'm not happy about. This is by Jed McKay with with art by CF Villa or Via. They have been the team doing all of the Black Cat stuff since Jed McKay came on board with the Black Cat stuff like two years ago. It has been a great run. Um, the Infinity Score, Infinite Destiny stuff that has been happening, I have to admit, has taken a lot away from the enjoyment of the Black Cat issues um it's not so contained with her and her world it's bringing in a lot of extra stuff that seems to be kind of just throwing its arms around like a flaty and uh inflatable tube thing you know dancing dude um but that's we'll see how this if it's gonna wrap up here in november in this giant size black cat infinity score 
hopefully um, it will make some sense by then. What I have to say for the solicitation is, this is it, the grand climax of Infinite Destinies and Infinity Score and the totality of Black Cat from the past two years, all in this oversized special. Black Cat has brought half of the Infinity Stones together, collecting a level of power that hasn't been seen in years. But to what end? This hasn't taken her out of the crosshairs of Nick Fury or Nighthawk, and with the Infinity Stones involved, can Thanos be far behind? Now that last bit is the only bit that I'm excited for, because Thanos a bad bitch. No, that's, that's, that, <laughs> yeah, no, Thanos a bad bitch. I stand by that. Um, in a recent issue of Black Cat, she was speaking with Star, who currently has the reality stone uh, attached to her bod. Um, if it was to be taken out, she would la die. She would be la killed. Uh, so, so ever since she kind of made an appearance and that sort of was all established, I have been saying, I have been swearing by it, that Thanos is going to rip her chest out to get that reality stone. <laughs> it's uh, She's not dead yet. Black Cat hasn't gotten the stone out of her chest. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I want to see Thanos. Obviously, a really rough violence against women incident, but she can come back for it. It's comics. She can come back from it. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. Um, but yeah, if Thanos is going to show up in this or in the end of this or something, whoo, baby. I, I, yeah, count me the fuck in. Um, it is a one shot, um, which means that we're probably not going to get much more Black Cat stuff after this. As you notice, the thing did say the totality of Black Cat from the past two years does sound rather final and wrap up ish. Um, but there is a long con, long con, long, long game happening with Thanos here that's stretching between Eternals, this, and Thor, probably other stuff too, um, where there was back in like Thor issue five or something by Donny Cates, there was that whole prophecy, wasn't really a prophecy, but we'll just go with prophecy, um, about where Thor saw the like vision of Thanos with an army of the dead behind him carrying a gauntlet that has now been more or less revealed to be this gauntlet of his son Thane. Uh, fun story about Thane. He was a healer who knew he was inhuman, so he avoided the um, the the dust that would make you turn and trigger your inhuman turn, and then when it finally happened, his power was uncontrollable murder. It was, it was amazing. This, this healer just becomes incontrollably killing people. It was great. Um, but anyway, the, the gauntlet he's wearing is apparently Thane's gauntlet, and the hammer, he's holding Mjolnir, which is embedded with the Infinity Gems. So if Thanos is going to tie into this giant size Black Cat Infinity score number one at all, it's going to be leading up to that awesomeness. My bet is still that they're probably going to rip the reality gem out of Star's chest. Thanos is going to kill her for that thing. He doesn't give a shit about her life. He's going to kill her ass. <laughs> anyway, Death of Doctor Strange also continues in November, as well as Inferno, which is the Jonathan Hickman X-Men um, event series whichever way it kind of ends up being. We also have Marvel's Voices Heritage Number 1. This is the Native American Heritage Month celebration of Native American heroes and creators. We have, for the creators on board, writers include Rebecca Roanhorse, Nyla Inuksuk, and more. For some reason, only lists two. Um, and then for the artists, it only lists two as well, being Jim Terry and David Cutler. 
Uh, we have a cover by Kyle Charles, a variant cover by Afua Richardson, a hidden gen variant by TBA, apparently, a variant uh, also by Jim Terry, and a Native American Heritage Month cover by Maria Wolf. Apparently also a David Makabuki cover, or David Mac. I don't know, Makabuki, why does he, I, somebody explain that to me. I don't know what it means. Um, this is apparently going to feature an array of indigenous talent. What it says about the issue is year two of Marvel's voices kicks off with a celebration of indigenous characters and talent. You get the full story behind River, the mysterious stranger from the pages of Rebecca Roanhorse's new Echo series. Discover Snowguard's greatest hopes and fears in a tale celebrated by celebrated filmmaker Nyla in Inuksuk, and many more reveals to come. New and established creators explore the wonders of the Marvel Universe. Catch the next big wave here. I'm really hoping that they do a, a solid job with this. They've put out something similar in the past, and this being the second version of it that they're putting out, they really need to um, to keep the quality real, real high um, to keep people interested in this, because this is one of those things that a lot of fans are going to kind of write off being, oh, it's just one of these things that they just put out annually, blah, blah, blah. No, we need to keep people interested in this because, as the solicitation does say, new and established creators exploring the wonders of the Marvel Universe. These are excellent spotlights on segments of comics that have just not been explored very much because comics have been so run by straight white men. So all of these Marvel's Voices issues I will keep getting um, because I think it's very, very important to support those voices coming through to the industry and continuing to be successful in the industry. We have, uh, I thought this was kind of interesting for November. There is this dark hold, I'm not sure if it's an event or mini event or what, but there's this dark hold books that are going to be coming out through October and November. This one caught my interest because it is a Black Bolt one shot. This would mean that this is the first time, the very first time that the Inhumans have appeared, any any of the Inhumans have appeared in anything since Death of the Inhumans, which was by Donny Cates and which basically ended with pretty much just the Inhuman royal family um, being the last of the Inhumans. Um, and that was more or less Marvel just kind of writing them off because they don't know what to do with them, which again is just a series of bad writers not knowing what to do with characters. Um, there's, there's stories out there to be written, it's just you have to be creative enough to put them onto paper. <laughs> um, so the fact that Black Bolt is getting this one shot, I'm very curious about if that's going to mean anything for Inhumans coming back into the Marvel continuity a little bit more. I hope so, because I'm a really big fan of Medusa, um, and it has been a long time since we've seen her, and the last time that we saw her, honestly, was so horrific and disappointing, I don't even want to mention it here. They made her cut her fucking hair off. Never gonna fucking get over that. Um, move on before I get too pissed off about that. Also in November, Black Panther number one coming from John Wid Widley. Oh my god. John Ridley and Juan Cabal. This is a very exciting number one kicking off the new Black Panther series. John Ridley has been mostly currently recently known for his Tim Fox Batman work. Jace Fox. Um, he has been doing a ungodly job, uh, ungodly amazing job, I should specify, with the other history of the DC universe. Um, no punches pulled. The brutal, honest, hard truths 
Um, and it's, it's really great. I am just, John really has created a fan for life in me and my husband fans for life. Um, and just have seeing him move here from the amazing work that he's been doing at DC to continue doing amazing work at Marvel as well. I'm excited for his black Panther series for sure. There is an Eternals series. It's not, it's, it's, it's not restarting. It's the Eternal series by Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribic is returning with issue seven. I had for a long time been saying issue six was the last issue and it kind of was for as far as anybody knew. It is returning in November with issue seven. Same creative team. Here's the shtick. Do you remember how this, um, I guess it would be not last series, it would be issue six ended. Pretty much what was told was on top of the somewhat recent realization that their lives are meaningless and the Celestials just kind of were playing in mud when they created them and then got bored and moved on, um, as opposed to thinking that they had some purpose was the other side of that. That was a recent discovery for the Eternals that just literally destroyed all of them. Um, and then Kieran Gillen started up this Eternal series, uh, really did, did a really wonderful job of explaining the ins and outs of the Eternals' existence and society, and the series ended, <laughs> among other things, with them being discovered, with them being told, or with them learning, rather, I guess, that while they are brought back every time they die, that's why they are eternal, um, they, that is happening because there is this great machine, right? It's called the machine. I think that ship that we see in the Eternals trailer, I think that's their version of the machine. Um, but I digress. The machine brings them back each time they die. Well, it's discovered that the machine does that by taking the life force of a human and giving it to them, leaving that human dead. This is like, this is honestly pretty alarming for the Eternals to discover because they are kind of, they have seen themselves as the stewards of humanity for all of their existence, ultimately. Um, and this is going to be a rough thing to learn because they don't want to hurt humanity. But anytime one of them dies, either they're going to remain dead or someone on Earth is going to have to die to make room for the Eternal to return. That's nuts. Uh, I definitely think they're going to kind of add that into the movie. I hope, at least. The solicitation adds another level here. Okay, so there's more. It says, The Eternals have learned the truth of their existence. Their society is in shambles. Who can lead them? Who is the visionary that can lead them from the ashes? And how did they take the throne? You ready for this? Hail Thanos, the Mad Titan, Eternal Prime. Oh my god. Welcome to a new day. Welcome to hell. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's, um... <laughs> I love it. Um, Thanos is a deviant, so, you know, one of the, like, opposite ends of the Eternals. It's really hard, complex, but he's not a friend of the Eternals. It's, he's not a friend of anybody but himself, okay? Um... And he's going to be leading the Eternals. Oh my god. I can't even. This is going to be so cool. Um, 
Yeah, okay. So Trial of Magneto also continues in November. Spoiler alert, there is a line from the solicitation here that does mention a Wanda divided cannot stand. So that makes me think that Wanda was somehow split and only part of her was killed, maybe? Um... I don't know, something like that. There is a Marvel Tales issue coming out about Genus Vell, which also makes me think about the Captain Marvel arc that's going right now, the last of the Marvels. Um, possibly a lot more of those Marvel progeny type characters are going to be brought back into being somewhat regularly in existence in the Marvel Universe again. And finally, for Marvel's November solicitations, in Daredevil, apparently Fisk and Typhoid Mary are going to get married. I knew that they had, like, something going on, but I thought it was, like, just a severe fondness. And now I don't know how I feel. Alright, let's finish things off by talking about the DC solicitations, which may take a minute because there's a good amount of them. Starting things off with Batman, One Dark Knight, number one. Now, a little bit ago, I was talking about Dark Ages over at Marvel. That's This is what I got that confused with. Um, because the solicitation of this talks about e a, um, a metahuman who has an EMP. I guess he's known as EMP, but he also has EMP powers um, that it says uh, the, the situation was in hand until it wasn't. Now every light in Gotham is out, the police are in disarray, and a broken, bleeding Batman must fight his way back to Blackgate, block by block, dragging EMP behind him. But the dark corners of Gotham hold many surprises, and EMP has many more shocks to deliver before the night is through. So this is going to take place over one night. Um, it does sound a lot like uh, in the vein of the kind of Dark Ages kind of stuff, but um, something you will notice a lot about the new stuff coming out from DC in November is it's primarily Batman stuff. Um, DC would not survive without the character of Batman. Um, there's just I, I get it. He's he's their big dollar thing, but um, it's just it's just funny. I guess I don't really have a problem with it. It's just kind of funny to to see these constant Batman things coming out. This is going to be a DC Black Label series, I believe. It is written and drawn by Jock, who I know is a fan favorite creator, especially in the term when it comes to Batman stuff. It is a Prestige Plus series, which means it's magazine size, magazine format, and it will be on sale uh, on, oh, it says December 7th. I guess it's coming out in December, but for some reason they have the solicit out in November for November, but that's fine. Uh, in any case, it'll be coming out at the end of the year. Uh, for Batman's issues 116 and 117, those are the last two issues of James Tynion on Batman, period, which makes me extremely curious as to who is coming into the fold for the Bat next. A lot of fans have been digging the hell out of Mariko Tamaki's Detective Comics run, as well as, as I mentioned before, uh, the John Ridley... Tim Fox Batman stuff. So those are two very obvious options. However, with DC Comics being the way they are, and with John Ridley being over at Marvel working on Black Panther at the same time, I don't think they're going to go with either of those two creators. I think they're probably going to choose someone like Joshua Williamson or something very basic like that. No offense. Um... But I also wanted to mention these two issues because there is going to be a coinciding Batgirl story across both of them that is going to be written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad. So if you're a fan of those characters, then definitely check those issues out. There is a Batman Secret Files of the Gardener one-shot. 
It is written by Tiny and with art by Christian Ward, which is extremely exciting because he has a gorgeous art style. This website, I'm just noticing, really messed it up. It says cover by James Tinian. That's obviously not correct. He's the writer. It's cover by Christian Ward, guys. <laughs> um, it is a one-shot. It is going to be 40 pages, so a little bit longer than usual. And it is going to be um, involving the gardener and Ivy and a lot of those rogues. What it says here is, She is shrouded in mystery, her motives a secret, and one cannot help but ask, who is Bella Garten, aka the gardener, really? Green Thumb storytellers James Tinian and Christian Ward dig deep into her past and unearth the secret origin of the latest addition to Batman's rogues gallery. Learn not only how Bella Garten came to know Pamela Isley, but how she was integral to the origin of the woman who would one day be known to all as Poison Ivy. This character of Bella Garten, from what little that I've seen of her, is pretty decently cool. Um, I have no idea what her abilities are, <laughs> uh, but she's got these cool little plant doggies that kind of follow her around, and her outfit is banging. So um, I, I think she's cool just based on those points, I guess. Catwoman 37. Um, I do have just one line from the solicitation that I pulled out here that is of interest. It says, And with Queen Ivy and Ivy aware of each other now, will they destroy the city or become one again? That is obviously the Queen Ivy character being Prime Ivy and the just Ivy being one of the offshoots that she can kind of project from herself. Um, but it's not really her. It's It's like a very watered down, very watered down version of her. And for some reason, um, as far as now, at least, Catwoman hasn't realized that that's not really Ivy. It's a piece of her. Um, and so Ivy is kind of in stasis beneath Gotham, according to the Batman series right now. Um, but there is something missing from her, and that's what the gardener is reporting to Harley. There's something missing, and there's something not right with Ivy. So um, I guess the two Ivies are going to become aware of each other, and I really hope they become one again so we can see a fully completed prime Ivy doing something. I don't know, but just, again, period. We can see her in the comics. <laughs> Robin's number one is a new series coming out in November. It's going to be six issues written by Tim Seeley with art and a cover by Baldemar Rivas. This is a really cool idea. Um, apparently it's a variant cover by Babs Tar, which may be worth checking out simply because um, another variant, which I'll get to later, was a Babs Tar variant that I'm going to get the issue just for the cover because it's phenomenal. Um, the solicitation, it makes it very interesting. This is basically... Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, and Damian Wayne coming together to discuss, as it says, the big thing that binds them together was being Robin and Batman's sidekick the best choice they could have made. That's kind of an interesting question to ask. Um, for some of them, it was not really their choice. It was something they just kind of fell into. For some of them, they kind of forced their way into it. Um, and for others, they just kind of were like that because that's what they wanted. It's very... this this It's they have very different reasons for being Robin, every single one of them. And they have very different histories before and after having been Robin, every single one of them. Um, so with another thing here, um, the solicitation says is that the Robins are ambushed by an unknown assailant with a bone to pick. She, interesting that this is she, claims to have been the first Robin and she's out to prove, holy shit, is this going to be, 
Is this gonna be Carrie Kelly? Are they bringing fucking Carrie Kelly into the main DC universe? I haven't read this full thing. Sorry, I'm just reading this now. It says she claims to have been the first Robin and she's out to prove Batman should have never trained any of them. That doesn't really sound like Carrie Kelly, but... She. It's the she that gets me. Hmm. Anyway, Tim Seeley, out of six. It's gonna be cool. I'm picking it up. There's also Robin and Batman. See how the pattern is just very Batman? Uh, written by Jeff Lemire this time. It is gonna be a three-issue prestige series, which means it's just gonna be a little bit thicker than usual. Um, it says, The legendary story of Batman and Robin has reached nearly mythic proportions. The crime-fighting dynamic duo, always one step ahead of the criminals they pursue and never meeting a case too big. This isn't that story. This is the story of a young Dick Grayson, newly orphaned, struggling to find his way in a strange, difficult, dark new world. This is the story of Robin and Batman. The best-selling creative team behind the Eisner-winning Descender, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen, reunite in Gotham City to tell the story of a remarkable young man learning to navigate an incredible new world. And that would be why it is called Robin and Batman as opposed to Batman and Robin. This is the Batman and Robin story, origin story of the dynamic duo from Robin's perspective, which is not something that we've seen before really in depth, um, but I am definitely, I am super here for it. There is a Gotham City villains anniversary giant number one. Get this. Written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Joshua Williamson, Stephanie Phillips, Dan Waters, Mar M Margaret Scott, Wes Craig, G. Willow Wilson, and get this, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito's writing a penguin story. What? <laughs> what world are we in? <laughs> okay. Um, I just, like, that was not something I saw coming <laughs> in a million years. But I will read it and I will probably enjoy it. I hope. And it includes art, the Gotham City Villains Anniversary Giant, includes art by Dan Mora, Wes Craig, Emma Rios, Ricardo Federici, Max Rayner, Max Fiumura, Fiumara, Skylar Patridge, Ariella Cristantina, Carrie Randolph, Jill Thompson, Christian Warb, Gabriel Walta, and others. I don't, I think it's got more artists than writers because they include um, like pinup, pinups kind of in it separating the stories um but in any case this is a really exciting group of creators um there is no doubt gonna be every villain that matters including poison ivy so i am gonna check it out for her as well as um whatever other cool stories may pop up in there and that danny devito penguin one because how can you pass that up I'm not even a Danny DeVito fan, necessarily. It's like, I obviously have to read that. <laughs> Moving on. November, we have Dark Knights of Steel also beginning, as well as Justice League Incarnate number one. It's going to be written by Joshua Williamson, as well as Dennis Culver. It's going to be five issues with art by Andre Bresson and Brandon Peterson. This is one that I'm, uh, I have not been necessarily following Infinite Frontier, but my husband has. Um, and so what this says is after the shocking ending of Infinite Frontier, Justice League Incarnate defends the multiverse from Darkseid across multiple Earths. There is apparently a lot of other things, characters like Flashpoint Batman, China's Flash from Earth Zero, Captain Carrot from Earth 26, and a brand new he superhero called Doctor Multiverse from Earth 8 that are all going to be in the series as well. 
Wonder Woman Evolution, I had briefly mentioned before, is going to be by Stephanie Phillips and Mike Hawthorne. This is going to be an eight-issue series that is non-canon, um, and it will be... I'm not sure if it's DC Black Label or not. Uh, but I have this solicitation here. It says, Whisked away from Earth by a distant cosmic entity, Wonder Woman is forced to navigate a series of perilous challenges that push her to the brink both mentally and physically. At stake is the fate of all humanity, with the alien entities casting Diana as Earth's proxy for a trial judging humanity's worth, humankind's worthiness to exist in the multiverse universe. Can Diana stand trial to save humanity without losing her own? Harley Quinn, Stephanie Phillips, teams with blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, Mike Hawthorne has designed a new Wonder Woman outfit for this series. It is a pants Wonder Woman outfit with a tank top kind of top. So new look for her. Really excited for that. I'm a big fan of what Stephanie Phillips has been doing for Harley Quinn, as well as Poison Ivy here and there. So definitely looking forward to this eight issue series. There is a holiday special, apparently, coming out called Tis the Season to be Freezin'. <laughs> um, it concludes writers such as Andrew Wheeler, Rich Bernatovic, T. Franklin, Tara Roberts, Paul Dini, Alan Burnett, Bobby Moynihan, and others. There also is art by Megan Hetrick, who I am a big fan and patron of, Travis Mercer, Yancey Labat, and others. It's going to have a variant cover by Jen Bartel, which has not been announced yet, but I am definitely looking forward to seeing what it is. It is a single issue of 80 pages. It's prestige format again, more like a volume than like a comic. It says, oh, the weather outside is freezing, but these stories sure are pleasing. So you so since you've got no place to go, why not grab a sweater, pour a cup of hot cocoa, and stroke the fire? Stoke, stoke the fire. Because these ten tales are sure to lower the mercury. Join us as Harley Quinn and Blue Snowman. Ice out Hawkman. Batman fights the cold heart of Mr. Freeze. The JLQ don't stand... Does this lead quarterly? What is JLQ? Don't stand a snowball's chance uh, against... Mi Minister Blizzard and the Flash and Superman team up to chill out Captain Cold to warm your holiday heart with these freezing feats of frosty action. Frosty fiction. It's a holiday issue. What can you say? It's going to be fun and entertaining. Whatever. Batman Superman Authority Special Number One. This is one that caught my attention because it seems to be a continuation of the current Grant Morrison Batman and the or Superman and the Authority. Um which is only going to be four issues, which seemed very foreshortened. And then I see this coming out in November, uh, which will be around the time that a fifth issue of Superman and the Authority would be coming out if there was one. Um, and this is what it says in the solicitation, which very much makes me think it is connected to the Grant Morrison series. It says... Following Mongols' brazen attack on Earth, Superman's world has been turned upside down. Conflict between Atlantis and the surface world, the discovery of an immensely new, immensely powerful new element, dead refugees with mysterious ties to Krypton, and expulsion from the Justice League. When Superman reforms the experimental anti-establishment authority to join him in liberating War World, Batman comes comes to them with a request. Join him for one unorthodox, off-the-books mission first, one he could never ask the Justice League to be a part of, one he doesn't expect everyone to come back from. Whether or not this does end up being connected to the Morrison stuff, it's kind of interesting that this is a pattern that we're now seeing in comics of the off-the-books kind of um, superhero teams. I'm here for it. I think it'll be interesting enough. I don't know... Oh, it's special. Okay, so it is a one-shot. So that would also kind of make sense that it would be continuation of the Morrison stuff. 
uh, but we will have to kind of wait and see. The art is by Trevor uh, Hairsign and Jonathan Glapion. There's going to be also a number of animals, animals, oh Jesus, number of annuals for DC Comics coming in November. Pretty much everything that gets an annual will be happening in November. Uh, Aquaman Becoming is continuing. Batman 89, number four, has a Babstar cover featuring Catwoman and Batman from the 89 movie. That is just delightful. Um, I was a fan of hers for a long time and her style kind of seemed to drop off the quality. It came more of a, um, for lack of a better word, porn artist than anything else. Um, and this is, looks like she's starting to get back into doing traditional comic covers that are actually enjoyable to the general audience. Uh, we also have uh, Batman The Adventures Continue Season 2 only relevant because issue six, which comes out in November, has a stunning Yannick Peckett cover featuring the Birds of Prey. Eat Bang Kill Tour also will continue in November. And the last two things I want to mention here, one is the final issue of Batman Reptilian comes out. Um, and it has the basically spoilers for the entire series in the solicitation, which I'm going to read now. So plug your ears for about 15 seconds if you don't want to read that. Starting... Uh, now, Batman and Killer Croc face off against Croc's murderous offspring in a finale that has to be seen to be perleaved. The world's greatest detective closes the world's strangest case in the final issue of Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp's Twisted Tale. Spoilers over. Um, so that just told you what's going on with this. It does leave some things to question still. Um, but wow. Is he going to kill Killer Croc? That would be very Oedipian, Oedipusian, Oedipian, you know Oedipus, Oedipus Rex, that's what I'm trying to say, I know there's a word, Oedipian, it's a word, I can't think of it, but the last thing here before we finish off the podcast is a graphic novel coming from Varian Johnson with art by Daniel Isles. It is called Mr. Miracle, The Great Escape. It's going to be coming out. Oh, it's in January, not November. Why is this in the November solicitation? It's coming out in January. It's coming out on the 18th of January, which fun fact is one day before my birthday. Oh, wow. Is my birthday on a Wednesday again this year? Going, going, going January. It is. That's fun. Anyway, Mr. Miracle, The Great Escape, what it says about it here is, Scott Free wants nothing more than to leave Apocalypse for planet Earth, and he knows exactly how to do it, but his, his plan never involved falling in love with the head of the female Furies, Big Barda, the one person tasked with ensuring he never escapes. From Varian Johnson, the author of the Coretta Scott King honor book, The Parker Inheritance, and Afrofuturist artist Daniel Isles, aka Dirty Robot, comes the story of an escape plan that will take a miracle to pull off. Luckily for Scott, everyone calls him Mr. Miracle. Okay, no one calls him that yet. There's a couple of things interesting about this. One is that it seems to be a YA edition of the Scott and Barda romance story. Totally here for it. It also seems to be a retelling where Scott is a person of color. Also very here for it. Um, I would imagine if he is, it's possible that most of the characters in the book are Afrofuturism, as it did list Afrofuturist artist Daniel Isles. Afrofuturism is the idea of um, futuristic African diaspora. Uh, I'm terrible at describing it, but it's basically just um, the, the various themes and um, figures of 
African and et cetera, uh, black creators and the stories they tell put into science fiction and put into stories that sometimes, um, well, rather sometimes they often show the world, um, in a future state from, um, a mass people of color perspective, if that makes sense. It's a really cool thing. There's a lot of really cool Afrofuturist artists and creators out there that you should definitely check out if that's something that you're at all interested in. I feel like if you are somebody who claims to be a massive sci-fi fan and you don't know what Afrofuturism, you are doing yourself a disservice and also kind of lying to yourself. Um, so definitely look into Afrofuturism, look into especially the art. Um, Atrofuturistic art and photography and edits and things like that are stunning. Um, I can't remember the name of the names off the top of my head right now, but there's some really, really amazing artists. Um, and I'm a big art fan. So I'm picking up various covers each week just for the covers, not for the issue. So comics are expensive. <laughs> but that wraps up uh, this week's Sensational She Geek Live at Yancey Street A episode. I guess it did end up being a little bit long. Um, so good for me, I guess. <laughs> I hope you found something here of interest. And as always, out of my comic book pull list and out of the comics that I talk about throughout the episode, this is in no way every comic that is out there. This is only a very small fraction. What I discuss on this podcast each week is only the things that I am aware of, which I am aware of. Uh, the only things that I'm aware of as well as read. I'm aware of a good number of things that are fantastic comics that I don't read because I just don't have the time. Um, or it's just not quite what I want or blah blah blah. But they're still good, critically really good comics. Um, so if there's ever an episode of this that you just don't feel like you're jiving with any of the stuff that I'm talking about but you still want to read comics and find something new to read, I highly recommend you stopping into any local comic book shop that you can find and they will be more than happy to show you some excellent reads based on whatever it is that you were interested in other parts of your life. So um, do not despair. Comics are there. That was really lame. I'm sorry. <laughs> the next episode is going to be Friday, September 3rd, first September episode, and I will be discussing comic book picks, things that I thought to be interesting or relevant for discussion, as well as what if episode four, which is going to be surrounding Doctor Strange. Um, it seems that he's going to be meeting a evil version of himself, so that's kind of cool. As well as Titans episode six, what if episode four premieres Wednesday on Disney Plus, Titans episode six premieres Thursday on HBO Max. I will also be discussing any kinds of other things that kind of happen between now and then in the news or rumors, or theories, or anything else like that. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast again, listening to me ramble on about the things that I enjoy. Um, again, if you would like to support the podcast, there is the Patreon under Sensational She Geek, the Ko-fi under She Geek, and the Redbubble store under She Geek Shop. Otherwise, sharing the podcast is really the best way to support it, and I appreciate any listening, any support of any kind that any of the followers and listeners do. So thank you very much for that. If you have any suggestions or questions or comments or concerns or anything of the like, uh, reach out. There are definitely ways to contact me through the various listening means of this podcast, like through YouTube, through my website, through social media. Um, it's all out there. So if you ever want to interact with me or have anything you want to discuss or anything like that, I am here for it. Um, and I would love to hear what you have to say. 
it is Monday, so have a great week. Um, I think it's a little bit cooler here where I am this week, so that's good. Uh, I did start a different part-time job, so uh, hopefully that will not be affecting the podcast anyway. And like I said, any kind of um, finances donated to the podcast are going directly towards me not having to work a job while I work on the podcast because I would like the podcast to be kind of my full-time job. That's the the long-term goal. It's a long way in the future, but it can happen. We can make it happen together. Have a great week. I'll try to be less cheesy next time. Um, don't kick cats. I'm trying to think of something new to say here. Um... Just, just, just don't be judgmental and don't be idiot. Don't be, don't be rude and have a good week. Get sweaty about things that you love and try not to tell people that they shouldn't love the things that they love.